0: Oh, and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, aka Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 172. Let's roll. And it is uh, it is Combine Week. What a what a what a crazy thing that we're fans of in this crazy world that we are fans of this. I can't get enough of the combine. I'm refreshing my page if I'm not watching it. I'm I'm watching it with like it's crazy hours and hours. We watch the NFL draft and the NFL draft combine. How crazy is that, people? That's the sickos that we are. If you explained it to somebody like what it is, they'd be like, "Wait, no, no." But you watch that, and you'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, no, it's awesome." Why? I, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. I can't explain it. What I can't explain is why I have my guest on this week. Mr. Jordan McNamara joins me. Me and Jordan have had some pretty dope shows over the years. Of course, I've come out on top on every single one. <laughs> but but uh, but no, we've, we, we have, man. He's an awesome dynasty mind. I love that he challenges me. I love that he's willing to to take a different sort of perspective with things. And he's one of the guys I do listen to, pay attention to on Twitter, read and react to because I think that it's so healthy to have an alternative point of view. Just like we say on this show all the time, be ready to be wrong. That's why I lean into people who don't always see things just the way I do because they open up the doors to new thinking. We're going to open up those doors today. I love Jordan McNamara. You can find Jordan on Twitter at McNamara Dynasty, analytics of Dynasty. Mr. Jordan McNamara, welcome back to the program, my friend.
1: It's good to be back. I'll, I'll let you know um, that a, a funny source of our prior um, our prior debates was actually CD Lamb, and I want to update you on the CD Lamb story. Thirty yes. to one to lead the league in receptions hit this year, and I was on that, so I was, you know, there you that go. Was, that's my guy now. C.D. Lamb's my guy. And by the way, midseason I had him at wide receiver two over Chase. So that wow. aged well at the end of the season. So Wow. See? So you owe me some money is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the point,
0: right? That's the point is like you're also ready to be wrong too. Like, And what's interesting, I say it over and over again. We go back and that's uh, C.D. Lamb Battle Scars. That's the one. That's the show. It's probably what now? Almost two years ago. I don't even know. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. it is two years. It's crazy how time flies. But that show was really great. We got heated. But the cool thing about it is even though we were arguing, I would now argue we were both correct, if that makes sense. You know, I was right on the player take. You were right on the process take. You know, and it was funny because I kept saying, is this a – you know, you kept saying, is this a player take? I'm like, yeah. And you're like, I'm not arguing that. I'm arguing it's a process take.
1: And yeah. that's
0: what's so beautiful about that conversation is that we basically were both right.
1: And it's so funny. Like, and and this whole like line is a really good example of like kind of the way I think about it was like, there's so many, like a lot of things had to go right for him, which was like, and by the way, like everyone being wrong on Mike McCarthy was one of those things, right? Because everyone said that Mike McCarthy was going to run the ball and that if you had studied any dose of history, you would have, come to the opposite conclusion on that but yes. that was a leap of faith you had to take to kind of believe in him going into 2023 a lot of the slot stuff like can you truly like build um a you know a, a 160 plus targets out of that in an offense like I'm not convinced a lot of offensive coordinators will do that and he has been one that in McCarthy to his credit um did an excellent job with that by the way like the other thing I think about this too is like kind of what I said like take a 30 to one shot, right? That's kind of one of the reasons why I'm, I get concerned about, you know, taking wide receivers high is because the payoffs, not that big a lot of times, but like, I love CD Lamb, CD Lamb when it's thirty to one for him to be basically the number one wide receiver in receptions. I love that, right. What I don't love is like paying wide receiver three or four prices for him in Dynasty. Like that's a right. totally different. Right? It's just a different type of game. So that's, right. that's kind of the it's it's fun like when you kind of look at that and put things in different scopes. Like how do you and one of the things I think about Dynasty all times like how do you hit big. For, like, how do you make a bet that's like a 30 to one type bet that can actually hit Dynasty? And I think that's a a big strategy and way that I've kind of taken on thinking about Dynasty. Yeah, for sure,
0: man. And, you know, it's, I I think I remember asking, well, by the way, that was two years ago. Last year, we did uh, talk about the Dallas Cowboys and we did talk about them being way more pass uh centric than many thought they were like no nah, they're going to grind the ball with this McCarthy thing and you and I were both on here and I agreed with you cuz I had had that se- the same take separately but you came on the show and we talked about how it was like no they the, everything they're doing and everything they're they're saying with their actions is that that's not the case you know they they mm-hmm. got rid of Ezekiel Elliott they didn't add running backs they got rid of running backs you know what i mean there was all this sort of stuff that was like no 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 they're showing us they're going to pass more not less so um, and sure enough, that's exactly what they did. And um, yeah, no, I mean it was it was great. I had a, I have a lot of Dak Prescott, Ceedee Lamb. I have a few stacks in Dynasty, and yeah, I had a very very good year in Dynasty, and a lot of it was probably due to leaning into that. Um, you know, so kudos to you, nice job on the thirty to
1: one. There you go. Yeah, it was it paid off well. It was nice. It was a good hit. It was a good you know, hit.
0: so so here we are in before the combine, and you know, I I, I, I know. So we've had a lot of talks about prospects and all this sort of stuff. And I thought that you were the perfect break from that because, you know, <laughs> it's true, man. You know, I, like I had, you know, my whole offseason, you know, obviously doing this pod, you know, as a, as a straight dynasty pod, um, our listeners are, are thirsty for prospect talk. You know, they really are. And it's and I don't blame them because you do want to figure it out. It's I, I do think it's something that you want to figure out. The question is, when do you have to have the answers to the test by? Like, when is your draft? You don't need to have the answers today if your draft is in four months. That's when you need to be right. You know, you need to be right when you're on the clock, not well before. It's You know, we, we, we've been adopting this saying, it's not who's first, it's who's right. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, curious what you think about that. Maybe just even tell us a little bit about your sort of process because, you know, you're a bit more of a process guy than player take guy for sure. But you have to have some player takes in order to go ahead and and push the button for players So how do you how do you sort of do this thing? I mean, do you just follow me And just do what I tell you to do Or what's going on here?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, my take on prospects Is like, you know, generally speaking When you look within tiers of, of players And when you kind of look at, at player profiles Just generally, take a step back Take the names away you Start looking at like yep. first-round wide receivers You start looking at top 10 quarterbacks The dynasty marketplace and the NFL draft Both of them Um, Neither of those marketplaces have really been predictive in terms of fantasy success when you look at ADP and when you look at the order of which guys go in the draft. And I I come back to that and think, well, okay, if if a lot of that is random uh, and if we take wide receiver one as opposed to wide receiver four in a class, you know, uh, you know, and do all that work, and that's the conclusion that the ADP comes to, which is what the market would tell you. Would you know? That's the market number. That's the the sum of all of that work, and that is not predictive. That tells me that there's an opportunity to zag, right? And so I tend to zag against you know <laughs> certainty and and trying to figure out rookies now, um, and what my my play typically is is to just wait, wait until. Um, you know, we get close to the draft. I want to study players. I want to kind of understand, you know, who they are kind of generally see where they go in the draft and then start using those player profiles, right. Using a lot of base rates, using a lot of those types of things, you know, and you can blend, you know, for example, receivers, I don't really try and like figure out the specific like route techniques of each receiver. I want to know basically when they broke out. I want to know, um, what round they went in the draft. And I want to know if there's any like red flags, right. In terms of, and I think a lot of the tape stuff can tell you some of that stuff about like how they kind of play, but yeah. I, that's just stuff I kind of catch up on right at the end. And right now yeah. I'm sort of zigging and, and studying a lot of like veterans and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, at this time of the off season.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, free agency does happen before the draft, the NFL draft. So for those reasons, it's, it's smart to have some, you know, uh, some sort of free agency based takes, you know, in other words, what's going to happen. You know, we, we kind of know who's a free agent and, and what's going to happen. You know I mean? It's, it's very likely with the cap going up that T Higgins is staying in Cincinnati more likely than not. I would at least say, right.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: they're very likely to at least tag him. I would think, do you, do you kind of agree with that first? I do. Oh, yeah. So <clears throat> given that, then you should probably have a, you know, a, a um, a result-based, you know, take on okay. Well, what's going to happen to the market after that happens, and is there any implication um, for me? In other words, is there is there is there should I be selling now or buying now, right? Or should I be thinking about his his value will go up when he signs, or will it go down? And and those are the simple thought processes you want to put yourself through. What's most likely to happen, and then what's the most likely ramifications of that happening, and what's the best course of action I can take to spearhead that action
1: yeah for sure and you know and then kind of understanding as well like you know different different player moves and like the impact that has down the board right like you know what's the impact right. and again i i come back to and i keep thinking about like the the Kyron williams like I, I kind of have this theory on a guy like cam Akers, where we went into last year thinking like well it's got to be cam Akers, right right and all the ADP would have suggested like uncertainty, like a lot of the player prop stuff would have, you know, um, uncertainty, like a lot of the projection stuff, you would have been like, I don't know how to feel great about that. And then you kind of look and you're like, okay, well, kind of thinking like, okay, past that, where, you know, what's the what's the play you kind of make um, against that, right? Like what's the other bet that you want to make? It ends up being Kyron Williams and I'm not, Like I I keep thinking about that for guys like Zamir White, for other players that could be impacted by free agency. Like, okay, if these guys kind of step in, like they're not necessarily the greatest profiles. Like, I don't really believe in Zamir White is to be like this big bell cow. So if if that's true, and Jacob Sleeves kind of then what's the next play? Like, I'm thinking a lot about those kinds of things at this time of the year.
0: Right. Yeah. It's almost like right now Zamir White is like you're just like if you're holding Zamir White, you're kind of hoping that Jacobs leaves and then not keeping Zamir White, but selling at that exact moment because mm-hmm. his projected upside at that moment and his value will be based off the projected upside, which of course you and I would both argue is not the center of the uh, range of outcomes. It's the ceiling of the range of outcomes. So you are selling closer to ceiling than you are to floor because the floor could be, Cam Akers are worse. I mean, he could just be Zamir White. You know what I mean? It could mm-hmm. just be he continues to be Zamir White. I would argue, yes, he could be Kyron Williams. That's I suppose, but that's like a one or two percent outcome. Like that's not likely. You know, even if you were to say he's gonna be, I don't know. I mean, what's what's further down? Like, you know, Damian Pierce two years ago, but even Damian Pierce isn't Damian Pierce anymore. So even selling on that type of value is probably wise. Right. So yeah, I am with you a thousand percent. That's fun stuff to think about. I do want to do a couple cool things. Um, we, uh, we got, I just sent out some like, you know, a tweet with like questions. So I've got a couple questions I want to hit from some of, um, some of the listeners and some of the people that were, uh, kind enough to submit some stuff. So, but we'll do that right after this. Back to the program. Thanks for thanks for tuning in. Hey, I wanted to get to this one, Jordan. This one's fun, and it kind of will tie into some of our thoughts about the class too. So, my my man Jemo asked me about the Chicago Bears, and I love dunking on the Chicago Bears fans because they're the best fans. But they're just so like I don't know, man. They're they're so delusional sometimes. Like I guess all fans are pretty delusional. Uh, although I think some fan bases are a little bit more realistic, or even like. They're certain they're going to lose, you know what I mean? They're like, no, 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 this is not going to work out. Where Bears fans are somehow delusionally hopeful, I don't know where this comes from. I I find it very, very, uh, you know, fascinating. But I also find fascinating the spot that the Chicago Bears find themselves in and the question that has been asked about the Chicago Bears and how it pertains to both Justin Fields and Caleb Williams, Um, not necessarily their dynasty value, although to some degree, yes, But also to the question of if you and I were running the Chicago Bears, like, what would you do? And I find that the question that gets asked is binary, and I don't find the answer to be binary at all. What are your thoughts?
1: So, yeah, I mean, this is, like, I think this is a a great discussion. By the way, I got shouted down, not by you, by other people. I got shouted down for discussing the Bears trading Justin Fields last year. And there were some amazing takes. Like, there was majority responses on, like, Justin Fields or 102, where it was, like, Justin Fields. Well, Justin Fields or 104, like, Justin Fields. Like, that has changed dramatically. Um, And so uh, this is something I've thought about a lot, like – I don't think from an NFL perspective, I, the worst thing that you can do is pay a non-elite quarterback. Correct. Yeah, that's right? correct. It's yes. a yes. horrendous thing to do, right? Yes. It's, it's what Daniel Jones, right? Yep. It's the Daniel Jones deal. David, it's the David G- and Derek Carr, the whole Carr Derek, family. Yep. The Cars. Yep. And, and, <laughs> you know, th- it's a little bit different like when you get a guy like Geno Smith who yeah. is making like, like there's an actual middle class in terms yes. of what quarterbacks are making. Like Jared Goff's actually in that tier right now Yes. Um, as well. And so you kind of look at that and you're like, okay, well, that's – like that's tolerable. But I, I yeah. don't think the extension on that, – that Justin Fields is going to want is going to be in the Geno Smith, Jared Goff, present APY conversation. So yeah. And, and by the, the way, Jordan,
0: also like if you think about the Jared Goff situation – it's kind of like, oh, we have this like kind of ready-made team that could win. We don't really we find there's value in paying a middle-class quarterback if he's just good enough. Like, you know, if we get Kirk Cousin, like if that team had Kirk Cousins, they win the Super Bowl potentially. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they, there's a just good enough that's actually palatable for that team, whereas just good enough for certain teams, I e the. the, the, the the, the giants not going to work. So yeah, I, I, love your point. Continue. I didn't mean to interrupt. Actually, I did yeah. mean to interrupt. My apologies. No, no, that's
1: fine. Um, I, and I think it does matter by conference too, right? Yeah. If you're going to, I, I mean, if, if you want to win in the AFC, like for the next five years, like God willing, everyone's healthy. But yeah. I mean, at Allen Mahomes, Lamar, I mean, Burrow, um, Herber, I, mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I <laughs> mean, like you got a hard, I mean, there's even more. Like I'm not even, I mean, it's not even inclusive. Stroud, right? I mean, right. you know, th- th- it's it's Row. Like who's yeah. the third best quarterback in the NFC? Right? Like, <laughs> uh, you know, like you could start debating that topic, right? Um, at yeah. at guys like you know, Purdy, Dak Prescott, Hurts, you know, Goff, right? Like Cousins, like that's that's a vastly different conversation than who's the then the third best quarterback being a, in the AFC being a two time MVP right? Like the conversation there is drastically different. So I think, I think when you kind of look at that, like your decision can be a little bit different. Um, I, but I keep coming back to like, so, so I would think like for a team like Detroit, like I could be okay paying golf, like extending golf, if it's not going to be like top of the market type stuff, because I think the conference is different, but I don't think fields is going to fit that. I think fields is going to demand something that's, you know, starts with a four per year and like given what we've seen like if you don't know after 3 years like the the Is probably no yeah and i just I, the stats haven't gotten really better in the stuff that i you know that the the sack avoidance stuff which is so big i mean that's I mean that's the Mahomes and Allen superpower. People like think about all the trick yep. throws and all that stuff, but avoiding sacks, like people get all concerned that Allen throws many interceptions. And I was like, he does, he throws a lot of interceptions, but he doesn't get sacked. Yeah. so he's actually avoiding. He's avoiding negative plays in a way that we don't really think about those. And a lot yeah. of times, sacks can be worse for you than an interception. So
0: yes, Jordan, I was just about to say that sacks are almost worse than an interception. They're basically a turnover. The yep. uh, the amount of times you score um on a drive with a sack is like so much lower than a drive without a sack i mean it's like it's it's really incredible um you know so same thing with actually holding too so you know both of those things kind of come come to the same conclusion that sacks are a a crippling stat if you're taking sacks you're likely not scoring and winning and sure enough justin fields as prolific as he is on the ground and and actually dude he he's got it he's he's he delivers the ball pretty well when he's able to, and when he's he, he just is a bit of a slow processor. That was part of the the the, the scouting on him originally. Which, hey, look, we, I didn't know that. I mean What the hell do I know, right? I mean, here mm-hmm. we are, right? But that was the scouting, and uh, and it's it's borne out. And and the the interesting thing is that the sack uh, pressure to sack rate carried over from college to the uh, NFL, and that's actually the biggest, you know, it, it, you know. Uh, Way to put it on him rather than, you know, on the offensive line or scheme or whatever.
1: Yeah, and that's actually it's funny because that's the stat. Like of all the quarterback stats, I've, I've and I've tried to create some like derivatives of that stat to try and get yeah. it, like some more discrete stuff. Um, I call it lost dropbacks, which is, and then I have like a lost dropback on pressured, uh, on pressured dropbacks, and and the lost dropback is basically when you scramble or get sacked. Uh, and you look at like on, on his dropbacks fields is either scrambled or sacked uh, on those more than anyone else in like NFL history, like, like of recent NFL history, I'll call it like the PFF era, say like the last like 20 years, like when we have that actual data. Um, and so like by far, like his, like the last two years have been like top five years. Last year was the most that anyone's ever done in a year. And like this year was like a top five number as well. So, um, so, that, all that stuff gives me concern. And that's like the sticky stuff of being quarterback. And so, uh, and again, that's stuff that carries over from college. It did carry over from college. Like, those are things that concern me. Um, so, I would be looking to kind of, all right, well, what can I get for him? And then let's reset the clock. Um, I think the option of, like, I, I don't know. Again, to the extent that we can figure out quarterbacks, I'm not sure that we can. And so my, my sort of thought would be if one and two are pretty close, like I'm not sure there's a big-time difference there between one and two, right? If if And again, if I would kind of go into my offensive coordinators and, and my offensive scheme people and say, you know, who, uh, who fits kind of the system that we're in? Uh, and I don't think Caleb Williams is for everybody. Right, like Caleb Williams is like minus sixteen hundred to go number one overall. That's crazy talk to me. I mean, this is the, the quarterback with the longest time to throw yeah. of anyone in basically the last like fifteen years in yeah. the first round by far. And by the way, the second the second uh longest time to throw is Justin Fields in college. Fields. So yeah. like and 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 Caleb Williams like makes Justin Fields look like a quick thrower. Like that's yeah. how like it's a it's it's like more than a tenth of a second more than that. It's a huge difference. Yes. Yeah. Um And so, I mean, he's a two second percentile guy in terms of, like, getting rid of the football. Like, he hangs on to right. it forever. And so I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that a team would look at his profile <laughs> at six foot, six foot one, light. You know, we haven't seen hand size or any of that stuff. um, And come to the conclusion that they want to go a different route. So I don't think it I, – I have Drake May futures. I've got Jane Daniels futures to go number one at, like, 10 and 25 to one. Um So – I say all that to say I would be in the business of kind of exploring, Hey, is there a trade to go? Does two want to come to one and we can trade Justin Fields and move down to two and take the next guy, take any surplus picks and do all that stuff. So I did a,
0: I did a mock draft where, you know, the PFF has it where you can, you know, just be a team and mock draft for them and, uh, PFN pro football network or whatever has one. I love the tool. It's fun. I love doing it, man. It, It helps me sort of get familiarized with the class too, just because, and I mean like I'm a draft Nick all the way through all positions. So I like, I do this with various teams just to see what they're sort of facing when they're on the clock. Like, You know, what's going to happen for Tampa Bay when they're on the clock? Oh, shit, what are their team needs? I start thinking about it. Then I start thinking, well, who's might be available? Would they want to trade this pick? Would I want to trade this pick? And it's just fun for me. I go down these rabbit holes. Well, I did that for Chicago, and I was like, okay, I'm at the 101, and who comes a calling but the commanders, right? And the commanders, basically, you're going to be at 1.02. You're going to swap one and two, and they're going to give you a future first. Their 25 first comes with it. Plus, whatever, right? But even if it's just, if you just said it's the 25 first of Washington and the 1.02 for your 1.01 01 in the NFL draft, that's, it's probably more than that. But that's amazing because you're still getting a top two quarterback. I mean, if Caleb was that much better as a prospect, that's a different conversation. You know, I don't know if he is or isn't. You know, it's hard. Like you say, for the quarterbacks, this is super hard. You know, they're basically a coin flip to begin with. I don't know that Caleb's going to be great. I do see greatness when I watch him. Like, I see greatness. Like, he has this sort of, you know, when people compare him to Mahomes, it's because he's able to extend the play. As you point out, 3.26 yard, uh, time to throw. He extends the play. He'll run. He kind of looks cool doing it. And he throws a little sidearm, darts down the field. And you're like, fuck, that's that's really good. And it is really good. Does that win in the NFL? Well, yes, if you have that skill, it wins. The other one you need is one, two, three, throw on time. You know what I mean? One, two, three, hit a guy in the hands, you know, a tight end in the hands who's kind of covered. You know, it's like, you just have to do other things too. You know, and I'm not saying he will or won't or can or can't do those other things, but can Jaden Daniels do those other things? Can Drake May do those other things? And then if you move to the 102, don't you have to start thinking, can J.J. McCarthy do those things? And can I move down another time? Can I move to the three or the four or the five or the six or the seven? Or can I move to the three, then the five? Can I move to the four, then the eight? I mean, can I make these moves and like literally bank multiple 25 first round picks and still end up with J.J. McCarthy? Like is that that possible? Holy shit, if that's possible – 1,000 times I am moving down a couple times taking J.J. McCarthy and hoping that J.J. McCarthy is as good or better than those other three quarterbacks, which is not a, – a it's a, not a non-zero. Right. What are your thoughts? Yeah. <laughs>
1: no i i agree with that like i would it would it would matter to me like the evaluation process on these guys like i would need to know you know kind of where my board is but like if i yes like i i come back to this and i i come at this with a healthy dose of we don't know what the hell we're doing yeah and and it's and in fairness to us and in fairness to everyone if if this was capable of being figured out someone would have done it already. Yeah. Right. Like if there was a model, if there was a metric, like, again, I think there's actually metrics that we'll never have access to that probably tell us a lot of this answer. Like, I think, you know, not to get geeky, but I think like, if you had like health tracking and like sleep tracking and like those sorts of things, like I bet that that gives you an indication of why guys like Burrow succeed where guys that are more physically talented don't like, I, I think that there's probably answers that we'll just never know. Um, But I come at it with, like, okay, if the board's pretty close, like, just let other people pay to make the hard decisions. Like, I don't – and that's not – like, I think there's a lot of ego and, hey, we have to pick our guy. Um I mean, yeah, I, I understand that per- perception and listen, they're the professionals and I'm not, but like yeah. my play would be, Hey, I'm going to sit at two or three and, and I'm going to just take the, you know, if in, in a rookie draft, right. I'm going to sit at two or three and just take the third guy. Right. right. I mean, that's historically yeah. been the right thing. I mean, don't pay to, don't pay to make the hard decisions. And I think, yeah. I think too often teams want to do that again. If you want to go, if your decision is, "Hey, we don't think McCarthy is the guy, right? We don't think McCarthy can be a guy," and you say, "Hey, I want to stick at three and take that guy," like that's fine, like do that. Yeah. But like, I, I just, I wouldn't be. Sure. I, I don't think that the answer is. I, I certainly don't think that the answer for Chicago is to keep Fields and trade down. No. and I just want to give you an example of of why. No, but that I, I,
0: I, I would. W- I'll, I'll, I'll say this though: the answer might be to keep Fields and trade down not keep him like pay him but like this is his final season on that deal if you don't pick up the fifth year option which most people think that the fifth year option is not going to get picked up on him almost by anybody by the way but um you know so even if they traded him you know that's why his value is not a first round pick cuz if someone was going to pick up the f- the fifth year option or pay him a lot he's worth a first round pick so obviously uh-huh. someone would pay a first round Pittsburgh would pay a first round pick if they were going to sign him to a multi contract of course but the whole point of the matter is that it's that deal's not getting done. If it does get done, I'll be surprised, but it's not getting done because they're not going to pay him because of what you already talked about that he's not worth it and he doesn't give you a decided advantage to win. But I would say this if for whatever reason you did this thing where you traded down two or three times, banked like two or three or more future first round picks, especially in 2025. And you keep Justin Fields and and roll it for one more year without a quarterback. You can also draft like Spencer Rattler, Michael Pratt, Penix, or Nix later potentially. Obviously, with these trade downs, you do. You know, you now have a a a a slew of ammo. You know, you have all these picks that you can make. You can get a a, a, you know you could try with one of those guys. Who knows if one of those guys maybe, you know, I don't think they are by the way. But you (laughs) you can add it to the quarterback room and then still there's going to be guys Russell Wilson and Kirk Cousins in next year's draft when you have picks and my gosh there's just always going to be an opportunity for you to be able to to add a quarterback i'm not i'm not saying that they should not take Caleb Williams that's not what i'm saying i'm saying that they should be sort of game playing and game theoring their way through what if we don't you know what if we don't keep Justin Fields and what if we don't take Caleb Williams what are those other options you know and i think that's the healthy way to look at it I mean, what if Kirk Cousins went there and they, like, draft Malik Neighbors and, you know, get a bunch of future first-round picks by moving down? And holy smokes, this could be, like – you know what I'm saying? Like Because even right. their ninth pick, that could be the J.J. McCarthy spot. So they could trade, you know, from, like, one to five, pick up a future first, take Neighbors or something like that, trade from five out of there, pick up another future first-round pick. You know what I'm saying? Like, they can right. really kind of, like, get – a winning team going forward i mean dj Moore, malik neighbors and like a kirk cousins i mean not bad dude and future first round capital to improve your team next year like etc etc you know there's there's just other ways that they can go i think what's going to be hardest for them is that it's it's fomo right you just can't pass on caleb williams in this in this sort of media network that you know exists around them yeah,
1: that's the that's the thing, and like to get ownerships buy into that. Like again, teams don't do that, so it's mm-hmm. it's inherently risky. You know, that's, that's right. the that's that's the you know just from a job preservation perspective. So, Bingo. Um, but yeah, yeah. I just, by the way, just to go back and look at like the the haul that was taken. Again, it's not this team didn't make all these picks, but when uh, when San Francisco actually traded up for Trey Lance, they traded three firsts. Yeah. Um, and this is the reason why I don't like the oh keep Justin Fields and then trade down and and just collect picks and and try to build it out that way. Uh, the picks: Brian Breeze, uh, interior uh, defensive lineman, who played um, by the way uh, five hundred and thirty nine snaps this year and had the uh, second lowest PFF grade of any uh, interior rookie. Uh, Cole Strange, the uh, the offensive guard, and then. Micah Parsons was actually the other pick uh, yeah. in that, but um, so you you got lucky by drafting a Hall of Famer there. Um, I think that writ, that that, and you look at like the RG three trade as well, like when when they traded down, like the the return on that those picks, everyone thinks so. Oh, you can build an elite team with that. Harder said than done, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: You know, or easier said than done, harder yeah. done yeah. than yeah. said. You know, and yeah. um, I just I, I look at that and I'm just like. That wouldn't be, oh, we can put an elite team around Justin Fields. I don't think that's the conclusion that I come to in a trade down. Yeah, no, I I agree with that.
0: I'm just saying like if you somehow like tried to get fancy with the trade downs and missed the quarterback spot, you know, like you were were like we're going to get this J.J. McCarthy thing done and somehow you fuck it up. The point is you still do possess Justin Fields with a now better roster. That is still a fact, you know? Right. And if he was going to take a step forward, you could sort of see it this year. He could play himself into a contract. Who knows? Hey, if we win, great. If we lose, guess what? Our pick is better. We have another shot at getting a quarterback. Like, you know, and we have multiple firsts so we can maneuver to get that quarterback. You know, everybody says, well, there's not one in 2025. Okay, there isn't until there is, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Joe Burrow wasn't there until he was. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that there's going to be a Joe Burrow. I'm just saying you don't know that there is or there isn't yet you know we just don't know and and then again if there isn't okay well there'll be another quarterback market there's always something i'm not saying and then there's others that will say just keep them both and whatever we're, we're beating this dead horse mm-hmm. and uh let's move on but i think it's it's extremely interesting and unfortunately there's no conversation about multiple options it's basically just if you turn on the tv keep justin fields or not you know it's like of course not that's the, mm-hmm. the dumbest one the keep Justin Fields is the clearly the wrong answer because of, like you said, the cost of it and just the fact that he's not proven to be a winning quarterback. So why would you bet on someone that's already proven that they can't do it when you have to pay them more for the one that might be able to actually do it? It doesn't make any sense.
1: If um, you're scared to give the fifth-year option to someone, that tells you the answer. That's the right? answer. So, yes. What are we What are we doing? Are
0: right. we doing? Right. I got a couple other questions that were, were sent in that were a lot of fun. It was – um it's just sort of dynasty strategy and, and some of the guys, I, I really appreciate the question. So thanks guys. Um, you know, but one was about like sell lows, you know, and I think this is interesting because, um, you know, there was another one said, Hey, define a roster clogger versus a depth piece. Um, and the other one was like, Hey, help me with, with sell low. Where's the line that you decide to keep a player? What, and what are the best ways to sell low? Um, and so I thought, uh, you know, I'll just I'll leave it at that. What are your thoughts, basically, when you hear those questions?
1: Uh, so let me start with roster clogger because um, yeah. I have an actual definition of this. Um, so my definition of a roster clogger, you got to meet two. If there's two prongs to it, number one, in the next in the next year in the next season, you don't envision a scenario where you're going to feel comfortable putting them in a lineup, uh, and B. Uh, In the next year, you don't envision a scenario where you think that there's a uh, that player gives you a meaningful upgrade in a trade in like the top 50 picks and the top 50 of ADP. So you don't think you could put that player in a in a trade for a top like 50 guy. Right, in a package to upgrade in that range. And I'm not saying that he's got to be the the lead piece, but if you're talking about like a two or three to one or two or three to two, something like that trade, where you don't envision that he could be an asset in that deal. If the answer to those questions is that you don't believe that either, you know, is the answer to those questions? No. right, You don't think he's a, a guy you feel comfortable putting in a lineup and, and you don't think he's a guy that you think uh, you're going to be able to put in a deal that makes a difference for your team, then he's a roster clogger and you should cut him.
0: Yeah, that's that's well said. It's funny because I have like, I I, this is different depending on what type of league it is. You know, uh, you and I have talked about this many times before. Like, if it's a fourteen, I'm in a fourteen team start fourteen. You know, there's almost like no such thing as a roster clocker. I mean, of course there is, but like everybody's a depth piece because there are teams who literally are starting guys that. May not see a touch, like literally. Like you're like, "Mm, might see, might, you know, use check might get in there. It's like not a bad upside play because if he does see a touch, it could be for a touchdown. Like use check, especially when, you know, you're not, you're a middling team, you know, some of the best teams are like, wow, they're really deep. And then I'm in leagues where it's like 10 teams start nine or something, you know, those are vastly different calculations. You know, one of them, Calvin, I have a team where like Calvin Ridley feels like, dead weight to me you know i'm like this guy's like you know and then in that league calvin really is like starts for any team every single team would start in the 14 14 right so that's the first thing to identify is sort of league wide and i know your our buddy scott connor talks about this all the time is you sort of count the wide receiver spots and the flex spots and however many that is so if it's start two wide receiver with three flex that's five if it's a 10-team league, well, that's 50 wide receivers, right? You know, you got to be kind of thinking those terms. You know, in this other league that I'm talking about, I think it's start three wide receivers and there's six flex spots on 14 teams. Well, wide receiver now, gosh, I mean, you're trading the 100th wide receiver for the 120th with plans. You know what I mean? Um, these are like, it's really different. So each league is different. I think that's the first thing I would, I would say. I totally agree with what you're saying. It's like, what is the and 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 i've had this conversation i'd love to hear your thoughts on it there's a difference between production and value and so some players will give you production but not value like i have a couple of teams a lot of teams actually i don't know how many shares but of jacoby myers and jacoby myers gives me production like when i need to uh, put put um jacoby myers in my lineup i look and i'm like he's gonna get fucking five ten targets like I like This is great. He's going to help my team. Now, he's helping a team that is, again, a deeper one. Because if you're starting Jacoby Myers on a 10-team start eight or nine, you're probably losing anyway, so he doesn't give you any value. See what I'm saying? So the production is moot anyway. So that's key to understand. Where does he fall in those those ranks? Whereas Jacoby Myers in almost any league, even even that 14-team one, seems like nobody ever wants his ass. So he doesn't give me any value. And I look at value as what I can trade him for, liquid value. What does this player bring on the trade market? So it's almost like I'm never looking to trade Jacoby Myers because nobody's ever looking to buy him, even in those leagues where they should be, they should really be trying to take advantage of the guy with Jacoby Myers because they're like, dude, his value is much lower than his production. So I could buy some cheap production here and 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 get his ass on my on my team because my team is fairly shallow and I'm starting shitbags in my third flex. So it sometimes doesn't line up with the rest of the league and the way they see the war, you know, wins above replacement and 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 value above replacement player. Like they don't see it as well as you do. And for those, or, or maybe you don't see it as the as the player that you are, right? So it's important to try and see those things and kind of I guess you're kind of hoping that someone else will see it. If the league doesn't see that value, then you might as well just bank the production and move on. It's what I've done with Jacoby in a number of leagues where I know nobody really wants his ass, but I'm happy to have him because he helps me win on the margins in weeks where I've got buys injuries, et cetera, or even sometimes he's the best
1: matchup. Yeah. It's especially true. Like when you get outside the top, like 75 picks in startup drafts or so, right? Like, the odds; those guys are a big uptick in in cost when you get out, you know, into those rounds. It's not super likely, uh, and so you start kind of. It's a value decision for me. It's a you know a values decision for me in terms of like, well, what do I believe? Right. Which is that production's more predictable than than value. Right. Right. Like I I can predict that better. Right. Like, I mean, I mean, Dak Prescott, you know, does what he does and was basically the quarterback of one for an extensive period of time. And he goes down in price. What the hell are we doing? Right. Right? Like you can't like, if, if that is what the market is going to do, what value is it in in predicting that? Because for you to have, (laughs) for you to benefit from predicting that you would have had to say, okay, in the midst of this heater, I need to sell him now because he's going to fall in value. Right, Josh Jacobs. It make it right. Start, right. In, the, in the midst yeah. of four top, like you know, twenty finishes, uh, you know, his value is plummeting. Right, he's at right running back twenty, and then he goes on and, and basically, uh, you know, and, and finishes a top three guy in two years ago. Right, I mean, you can't. It's really, really hard, I think, in dynasty to play keep up with the Joneses because a lot of the things that the dynasty market does to players makes no sense. Right. right. And so, and and when you kind of understand, like one of the things that I found when doing my research on AOD stuff and the team building guide in particular was if you look at a receiver and and one that is hit, and I just use a hit just so it it just has a a definition um, of being a top 24 seasonal finish in total points, right? That's just the definition I use so that way I can talk about it. Um, If you just look at guys that have done that versus guys that haven't, Right. The guy that has done it is substantially more likely to do it again than the guy who has not done it at the same price. Right. Right. So when you get a rookie or when you get a guy who has not produced, you know, let's say, you know, wide receiver three of this class is is, uh, 15th at ADP and 16th at ADP is a guy that's hit once before. Right, the odds would tell you that the guy that is sixteenth but is hit before is much 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 more likely to produce a future starter season than the guy that has not done so right um and that's that is all that is is the value right the age and all this sort of non scoring premium that we put on young players in dynasty right yes. that's all that is right that's the actual measure of it, and when you actually look at it. It's about like in kind of that range, like a third-round wide receiver who has not hit in his career is is about as likely to hit as a wide receiver draft in the seventh round of ADP. So that's a huge difference, right? When you kind of look at and, and kind of think about those things, so you know that's one place where I kind of look at a, a lot of these production things and, and a lot of these value things and say, you know, we can we can move off of this, you know, this in a, a player you talked about earlier, like T. Higgins, yeah. I mean, if his name was Joe Smith and he did, and he played for any other team, he would be wide receiver thirty five. Yeah. But because of what of where he is and and who he is, he's valued yep. substantially higher. But when you blind test his resume, it's not good.
0: Right. right. His numbers, his
1: underlying metrics are not good. Um. He's he's a he's a basically contested catch. Uh, you know he's in the you know people are going to hate this cop, but he's in the Gabe Davis sort of George Pickens sort George of lineage Pickens. of the of the yeah. uh, wing of the receiver, if you will. And I, those guys just aren't huge difference makers. So you see a lot of these things and they happen. And I just I don't put a ton of value in terms of trying to chase roster value. A guy like James Conner is a great example. Like James Conner, for the rest of his you know for for basically the last four years, has overproduced his cost. <laughs> I mean, he's just gonna, because no one's gonna have any value in that in that profile. And I just, I don't try and keep up with that. I just, I just bank towards the production. And by the yeah. way, can I mention something on war yeah. too? Yeah, yeah. I think the mistake that people make about war or warp, um, I have a warp metric. Um, I, I, I think the mistake that people make is use it as a season long metric, because while Dynasty is a long term game. The actual warp stuff is a week to week calculation. and I'll give you an example. okay. When a running back gets hurt, right? the running back that goes in for him is substantially likely to have uh, an uptick in in valuation and, or an uptick in in, um, in touches. Right. So, for example, when Alvin Kamara a few years ago goes down, he goes down for two weeks. I think it was six weeks, six and week seven. Latavius Murray came in and was the running back one by 10 total points over the next two weeks. OK. Um, hence my shirt. Right. That's actually my logo of my a- of AOD is that Latavius Murray season. Right. We just were able to capture the peak. Now, if you measure him over the entire season, he d- looks totally abnormal but he was never going to be in your lineup or rarely going to be in your lineup unless you're playing in some sadomasochistic league like you play yes. um, with those 14 and 14. He's right. not going to be in your lineup usually, but he is going to be in your lineup when, when Alvin Kamara's is out. So what you're able to do is capture the the peaks of players at running back that you're not able to do at wide receiver, right? Wide receiver, you actually, it's much harder to sort of capture those peaks if you're trying to play week to week like that. So I do think like, the warp conversation is interesting, but you have to understand it's not a season-long application. It's it's a you should kind of measure that on a week to week and kind of adjust for how how likely the person is to be in a starting lineup.
0: Yeah, and I mean, right. And if you can trade, uh, I, I think the, the the question of whether it's a depth piece or not, and, and the long answer, um, and how how to sell low, just to kind of get get back to some of those questions, is like you know, selling low is a little bit of a different idea. I, I would imagine that the question about selling low is like when the bottom starts to fall out, is that kind of what you think he's getting at? You know, because he says, where's the line that you decide to keep a player? I don't know if that, I don't know what that means. Like, I, I'm a little bit confused by that, but I think selling low for me is like, you know, if if there's any chance of a bounce back, great, but like generally like running backs, you you know, like Dalvin Cook, even we, we sort of thought it was funny because I was in startups last year where I was like, I was kind of pissed that I let him fall too far and then didn't get him. And then (laughs) I was like, Oh my God, thank God. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, even when you think you're wrong, sometimes you're right. Like I literally had to resist taking Dalvin startup last year before the season is like, dude, he's going to land someplace and be, and no, he did not land anywhere and did nothing, you know? And so you know, even at that point. So if you were selling quote unquote low on Dalvin, you were actually selling high, you know? So it's, it's really hard to know. And that's where you just have to have some conviction, um, but also recognizing that any sell window is a sell window. And even when you sell low and then the player still has a quote unquote bounce back or something, don't, don't sweat it. Just get off and move on. I think that's kind of the, the advice I'm trying to give here is that like, when you see the window, sometimes that's your only window. You know, there's not, you know, if you said to any league, you know, even if they're all paying attention, which is one fucking problem, is that sometimes only three people are going to see a post you put or whatever. Even when you send a trade, sometimes trades go 10 days without being looked at. We know. We, we, we all play in leagues, right? So, but even if everybody's paying attention and you said, I'm selling Gabe Davis, I'm selling – um brian robinson brian robinson people will be like hey eh. like not everybody's gonna even want to even entertain a trade for him let alone how much so like mm-hmm. once you have someone who's interested in making that trade that you think you're selling selling out and selling low on brian robinson and you're like man i'm only getting the you know, a 24, a 25 second for Brian Robinson, isn't that selling low? What should I do? Shouldn't I just keep him? It's like, not unless you're selling him. That's the, that's the amount that you're able to get. I mean, right. uh, you know, so you have to be like, is this best for my roster to sell off and be like, maybe you send another one, couple people that you think need a run back. Hey, last call, I'm going to sell them and it's probably going to piss you off for what I'm selling them for. Do you want in on this or not? You know, maybe you send that, but I mean, yeah. there's no way to make it, you, you know someone give you an offer. There's no way to make someone consider your offer. There's no way to make someone interested in a player they're not interested in, and that's the thing with the marketplace that people miss. You can pull out keep, trade, cut, and all this bullshit. They're just not interested.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and so I think like I think there's a couple of things to kind of think about this. Yeah. I always try to think in probabilities. Right. And think about like, okay, well, what's the, you know, what's kind of my range of outcomes? We've used that term a little bit. You know, what's like, what do I expect of this player? And then what do I expect of what I'm trading him for? Right. So uh, again, that might seem like rudimentary, but like, okay, if I trade Brian Robinson for like 206 this year, you know, really am I going to get a starting running back from that job, from that place? Probably not. Right. So while keep trade cut or fantasy calc might have him valued at, at such, uh, I'm just using him as a placeholder example. It, it's really hard to justify doing that deal. Right. Yeah. So, like, that would be a scenario where I'd be like very hesitant to like think I'm selling low. Like, okay, that's just a player I'm going to have to hang on to. Like, that's what his, his role is going to be a lineup guy for me now. Right. And again, he's not a roster clogger because he's lineup capable. Right. I mean, yeah. he's. By the way, he finished 12th in receiving guards last year. Right. I I totally agree
0: with this, by the way. (laughs) Hey, hey, Jordan, I totally agree Mm -hmm. with this. Like, but if what if I'm not competing, right? If I'm not competing, then the 206 traditionally has been like where, you know, players like, well, you know, uh, Devontae, no, he didn't fall that far, but Michael Pittman did or whatever, T. Higgins. And, you know, there's been players. I mean, you just go back 206, right? Jaden Reed, all the. But that's why I even said a 25-second. If you're not competing, you almost rather have the 25-second. You know, a random 25-second better than this year's 2.06 for a rebuilding team, which sounds crazy, but it's true because then you get to actually have the leverage of that value, right? Because maybe you can package that. You have more time to package that to maybe get a different player at some point. You have almost a year. If you're not winning this year, what the hell do you need to make the pick for this year? You know, if you were on the clock at the 2.06 You'd almost rather be like, can I just do this next year? I don't need players, man. I need, I need time. You know, I need to stack this all. So this is what you know. Maybe you can do that where you can say, oh, instead of getting your two point oh six, I know you're trying to win this year. Give me your twenty five second, and how about just your twenty six second? That way, you know, you're a great team. You're obviously going to dominate now, and these picks are going to be shit. And someone says, sure. Well, now you basically have, you know, you were able to re roll it twice. Now you got a little bit better shot, right? See what I'm saying? Like these are the ways that you can sometimes. Squeeze the deal, and it still benefits both pl- both parties, you know. So th- this is, but I, the the thing I'm stressing here is, you don't always get offers all over the place for a player, even if you want to get off them It's harder. To, that's why sometimes, you know, I just saw it was um who who was it? oh it was Izzy uh, Elkafaz was asking to be a, an orphan on Twitter, and he goes, it needs to be an active league, uh, or I'm not taking the fucking uh, orphan. Whatever, that's what he wants to do. He wants to take a, an orphan. Who, who knows why, but not the point. The point was his one thing was it needs to be an active league. And he knows that because if he has a bunch of stuff, he needs to be able to engage with people and sell stuff. Even if he's going to sell low, I'm sure he's thinking things are going to be moving. You know, I'm selling Bryant Robinson for two thirds and a, you know, right. He's going to be like, yeah, everything's for sale. And he's just going to, he's going to show you how it's done with a rebuild by pushing everything out and, and putting it all into the iron bank and moving it forward. You know, the whole thing, the whole idea. So, you know, but without activity, it's hard to just manufacture uh, transactions for yourself. It's almost impossible.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. And by the way, if you're thinking about uh, not contending right now, like we're recording this, it's you know the last couple of days of February. Yeah. Um, if you're thinking about that, just before you commit to not contending in 2024, go over, go to Football Guys go onto the website and just sort the running back finishers last year by points per game. Okay. And Christian McCaffrey's one. Okay. Kyron Williams, who was available for nothing was two. Devon A. Shane, uh, a second round rookie pick was three. Raheem Moster, available outside the top 25 rounds of startup drafts was, was four. Alvin Kamara. He was in the t- late twenties of startup ADP at periods of time last year was number five. Gibbs uh, was a first-round rookie pick. Travis Etienne, who everyone dumped all over because he couldn't score a touchdown, scored 11 of them last year and finished seventh. Um, Brees Hall, he was way up there. Rashad White, by the way, who people had written off, right, is at nine. Uh, Barkley, who was like the other, you know, there was basically three high-priced veterans in that. And he had a buy yep. window as well. Like yep. he was available outside the top eight last year. Yep. Um, Pacheco and Montgomery that rounds out the top twelve. Like yeah. there was easy gettable players in that range. That if you say, okay, listen, I don't need to be like someone that's not contending right now is not ever going to be. Um, able to sort of land a Raheem Mostert because they're not going to kind of aim for that. But if you say, Hey, listen, I want to hang around because I don't know what's going to happen. Right. I, it's February. I don't know what's going to happen at the end of March, let alone at the end of November. And like, let's kind of be open to a huge range of outcomes, right? Like if you had taken CJ Stroud last year, like you would have never thought that right? you weren't going into that thinking you probably picking in the top, you know, four or five picks if you had gotten there naturally, you're probably like, yeah, right. my team's not great. If you landed Stroud and you and you also landed on a guy like Raheem Mostert or, or one of those other guys we mentioned, if you went if you went Stroud A Shane in a rookie draft, that team is probably a very strong team last year, right? Much stronger than you would have ever expected with that. And I just I think that it's you got to keep a wide range of outcomes. If you don't think you're gonna contend right now, you know, this should be a time to sort of retool your team for twenty twenty four, not kick the not kick the can to twenty twenty five.
0: Yeah, and I think if you're gonna trade Brian Robinson in that example, by the way, and you're that team and you don't think you're competitive, trading Brian Robinson for twenty five second and then just down to like I don't know, even like Khalil Herbert or JK Dobbins or something, you know what I mean? Where it's like you know, the Kyron Williams of this year where it's like just as, you know, at least I get a a shot at another running back, someone that he's happy to get off of. He's like, dude, obviously you can fucking have J.K. Dobbins, whatever, or or, or whatever. Make up your own name. You know what I mean? Uh, Miles Sanders or something stupid. You know, again, guys that nobody wants. Every every time I just said all those guys, everybody listening went, no, no, I don't want him. I don't want him. Like that's what you do. Nobody wants them. Nobody wanted Kyron Williams. If you were like, Kyron Williams, we talked about it, was RB 70 before the season. RB 70 not player 70 running back 70 going into the season so like go look at whoever the fuck running back 60 through 80 are in your in your league that's where Kyron Williams came from now that's not to say that there's another one coming from there it's just to say to your point you don't know exactly where they're coming from so by sort of trading the uh, you know uncertainty for future picks and you know, another, another, another back is not crazy when you're trying to rebuild. I mean, you know, as Scott Conner says, any, any running back on a 53, it, it, you know, has an opportunity. Um, speaking of which, you know, uh, just talked about one of the other questions was about trading in dynasty. And certainly we started talking about a lot of the, the, the advice that you would give about trading in dynasty. What are some of your other sort of trade, uh, advice, uh, you know, bits that you tend to try to utilize to get deals done?
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, I think it matters like the time of year. So like right now um, I'm spending a ton of time thinking about how I get more top 30 guys. Right. right? And so that's, I think, you know, more so than anything, I'm thinking about that. Um, And so that's like kind of where I think about, I think different positions are different as well. Um, You know, receiver, I'm, I'm, much more likely to trade down than a quarterback where I'm never going to really trade down. Um, uh, You know, tight end. I think this year is really interesting as well from like a, you know, just the nature of it. Like, I think that there's some arbability if that, if we can use that word, like you can arbitrage that position pretty interestingly with like, a number of guys. So that's kind of the, the one thing. Um, the other thing, like I would really, really, really caution people on doing like actually in my AOD and my dynasty team building guide, I have a, I have a chart that's just trade rules. Like it's actually like all of the things I've learned in dynasty on one page. It was like, you know, Chad uses the quote, like if I, it gets very difficult to write a short letter, like, I'm sorry, I couldn't write a shorter letter. I didn't have enough time. Like, the amount of time it takes to put everything I know on one page was, like, absurd. Um, but I have a trade roll section. And one of the things that I, I – think on there is, um, and, and strongly believe is you don't trade up for a wide receiver in a rookie draft, right? The odds are just not in your favor when you do that. Um, and you're spending too much to do it. And the price is too high for all the reasons we talked about with the receiver, the nature of the receiver position earlier. Um, that would be one of the things that I would really, really caution people. So if like you're thinking, oh, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be my savior. Um, I would very much caution you against doing that. Right. Because the odds are um, not what you think they are. That's right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, if you can do so, you know, inexpensively, that's one thing. I've seen some pretty cool deals get done. But yeah, if you're if you're paying Justin Jefferson or even A.J. Brown prices for Marvin Harrison, it's a risky bet is all I'll say. You know, it's a risky bet. Doesn't mean it won't happen. His ceiling outcome, of course, is is right there, but his, his floor, I've been saying like, you know, we looked at range of outcomes for like Marvin Harrison Jr. And like, you know, realistically, right. Like it's like Deandre Hopkins ceiling, you know, George Pickens floor, like, you know, reasonably, obviously it could be fucking Jerry rice or mm-hmm. Nikhil Harry or whatever. Yeah. I get yeah. it. I'm just talking like, you know, the type of player he is outside X, very good, you know, uh profile, big school. Like what, you know, where's that sort of, I think the reasonable zone is that well if you did all that for closer to George Pickens you're going to be really pissed off about it right you mm-hmm. know what, you know what I mean so like that's kind of your point you're not saying that Marvin Harrison isn't a good prospect cuz again you don't even think like that it's more that you do realize that there's range of outcomes with this type of stuff all the
1: time yeah yeah can I can we discuss Marvin Harrison Jr for a second yeah do it man so I I'm not positive on this the the reading of it was a little bit amb- ambiguous but I am I, I the way I understand it is he is a not going to the combine. He's physically yeah. not going to be in Indianapolis. <laughs> yeah. Um which that's the way the report read. I could be wrong on that, but That's how I that's, read it too. I'm not sure
0: if that's true or not, but I'm with you so far.
1: That's the e- way I read way, it. Either
0: way, either way, pretty much
1: snubbing the whole thing. And so it could be snubbing like I worry about, like, tail outcomes, right? And so, like, I, I I look at him and I say there's one of two things I think are extremely possible, okay? Um, number one, that he's been made a promise by a team in the top two, three, maybe four, that they're going to take him there. Now, by the way, Arizona... Uh, is the massive favorite to take him. Like the implied odds are like 65% that he's going to go to Arizona. Um, yeah. How anyone could be that sure of anything at this point in the calendar is an absolute mystery to me, um, especially yeah. for a team that just traded down last year. Um, so that's a whole other story. But um, I, I wonder it, on one hand, if he's been made a promise now that isn't super common that we know about in football, but it is in basketball. Right. And you know who owns a basketball team? the Washington Red, the Washington Commanders Ownership Group. Yeah. Right. So I think that's one thing I kind of look at and I'm like, is there something that we don't know that Marvin Harrison Jr. knows about that doesn't require him to go run? And I wonder if that is a promise at either two, three or four. Right. So that's the first thing I think about. Okay. And if that is not true, he is leaving himself, he is, he is absolutely leaving himself over to, I, can I swear on this podcast? I can swear. Yeah, we love podcast, fucking right? swearing. As okay. a matter of
0: fact, the drinking game, nobody's heard a swear. They're sitting with a shot glass just going, when okay. the fuck are they going to start swearing?
1: All right. So Marvin Harrison Jr. either knows where he's going to – where his floor is. Like literally someone's told him, hey, we're going to take you at this spot if you're there. And it's comfortable to him. I would assume that's like the top four or five picks. Or he's totally fucking up this process because he leaves himself open uh, – to Malik Neighbors or Roma Dunze or someone like that, I think it would be most likely Malik Neighbors coming in, running really well, having a good pre-draft process. And by the way, the fact that if he's not actually going to go to Indy, these teams aren't going to have medicals on him. Like I just, I come back and I look at all this situ- this entire situation, and I think, okay, if a guy does not want to in in 2024, uh, if a person does not want to show off to you. Right. In the Instagram, Facebook, Twitter world, you know, the the TikTok world. Right. If someone does not want to show off to you, what are they hiding? Right. Right. And I I got in a lot of trouble for some dynasty from some dynasty people saying this earlier on in the offseason. I'll say it again. Now, if Marvin Harrison Jr. does not want to show his medicals and does not want to run, why is that? And it's either a he's been promised something or B, he's potentially making a mistake and I I think it's a really fascinating decision, and we'll probably know, and maybe we ultimately find out the actual truth about what happened. But I I am very very intrigued about how the storyline plays out because I don't think it's yeah you know, he's like a locked on favorite to go as wide receiver one again. I'm a natural skeptic on a lot of these things. I just think the market's right. much certainty. Um, it's fascinating to me. This is a very fascinating situation.
0: Yeah, I I, I read it a little bit differently. I felt like. I don't know about a promise, but like, I feel like the league is sort of promising it to him. Like you're the, you're the best ever, you know, you're a legendary generational talent at the wide receiver position. And, you know, if he's available at four or five and someone passed on him for some, you know, someone will trade up, you know, I mean, in other words, he is sort of guaranteed to go in there. I, I believe not, not, not not guaranteed, but, as close to it as it comes, you know, in, in this day and age. And I think he made a business decision. Like, I don't need your stinking combine. I'm fucking, you know, so good, which I found interesting because it's like, well, is he devaluing the combine or is he devaluing himself? Right. and You're looking at the other side saying maybe he's devaluing himself. I don't really know. Uh, I don't know how much, you know, it's like some, the league talks out of both sides of their mouth. They're like, you know, they don 't need the combine it 's not that important, but yet every team shows up with stopwatches and pencils and you know puts the you know wants to meet all these players, wants to put them through the drills. It seems both important and unimportant at the same time. We can talk about the importance of it, you know certainly you know the run fast is interesting because when these guys run fast what the one thing i 'll say about forty time is it 's actually um a bad uh metric for wide receivers, and the reason. It's a bad metric for wide receivers, is because when a guy runs fast, a uh, fast forty at the combine, they tend to also get overdrafted, and so their draft capital counts twice because you count the forty time as being important, which it really isn't at the wide receiver position, and they get higher draft capital, which makes them a higher value prospect in almost every single model. So that's why it's a sort of a negative. Uh, I'd, I'd rather take the guy who runs slower at, at, at draft capital cost because. They they overcount it because it does matter more to the league than it does to production. Uh, having you know a guy like MVS or Jalen Hyatt or these guys that run wind sprints that spread you know spread the field or stretch the field vertically matters in the actual NFL. Even if they don't get targeted, they put pressure on safeties, opening up things underneath for better players. But it doesn't really matter to your fantasy team. So very, very interesting. But all that being said, I think it's more that he thinks that he's going to go, um, you know, wherever he's going to go, regardless of what he does. And I argued that he can only hurt himself by going because if he goes and it's like, oh, shit, he ran a four, six, one. Wait a second. Are we sure? And then neighbors run the four, three, eight. It's like, again, I don't think that matters in real life. But all of a sudden. The narrative changes and you have a whole month and a half to talk about how, well, maybe Marvin Harrison is, and then all of a sudden teams get that sort of that Caleb Williams pressure, you know, to to take neighbors instead of Harrison and Odunze looked great. Maybe Odunze's better. I've heard this from this you know, then it can actually hurt him and cost him money. What if he runs a four seven one and goes full Laquan Treadwell? Not saying that I think that would happen, but why isn't he doing it? Well, there you go. Now it's only for us to speculate.
1: Uh- Absolutely. And it's just, it's, it's, I don't know, you leave open that question. Right. And it's just, I, I think that like people are going to, there's teams spending a lot of money and especially without the medicals. Like, I, I don't know. I just, you look at guys like last year, like even, even last year, Sean Tucker had a heart, had a heart issue that, that yeah, wasn't picked up. I, it's my understanding. It wasn't picked up until he tested pre-draft because it was never an issue at Syracuse. Right. Um, and that, caused him to fall from probably some sort of day two, early day three prospect to out of the draft. Um, And I just, I look at that and I'm like, like, you know, there's, there's these teams worry about things like this is kind of my, that's kind of my operating prism. Like I think they probably over worry about stuff. Um, uh, It's going to be fascinating. I just think it's going to be fascinating.
0: So given your uh, propensity to look at value more than players, one of the things I know that you're not doing, is you're not falling in love with the 1.05 right now because you uh, uh, you know attach that to oh no, no no I can't trade the 105 because it's Malik Neighbors or whatever you're not doing that so I wonder then what are you doing with your first round picks right now like are you willing to trade them are you trading them or what are your thoughts in that regard right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm always open to trading picks, uh, is my sort of initial thought. Um, I'm always open to trying to, you know, explore, um, you know, making a deal for the picks. Um, I, I, I'm looking for elite players usually when I do that at this time of year, right? I'm, sh- I'm shopping for, I'm using those picks and players for top 30 top 30 players, right? Usually right. at a premium position. So if it's, if I can get an upgraded quarterback or tight end, that's the deal. Um, the other thing that I would generally say is like, if I'm sort of in the middle of the round, like I really want to be at the back of a tier. Like I want to the same conversation that like we talked about with Chicago earlier, where it's like, yes. I want to like force other people to sort of make the, like I want to force other people to pay for the decision. Like yep. I, I really, really want to do that. <laughs> Um, and so that's the, that's kind of the, the angle for me that I'm constantly thinking about is like, okay, well, how do I, you know, how do I go instead of picking wide receiver one, like, how do I pick if, if there's four or five guys that are, you know, I like profile wise, relatively similarly in terms of draft costs and like breakout age and that sort of stuff. How do I kind of get the fourth or fifth one instead of. You know, sitting at one or two usually that's a trade down right i like to run some two-way goes where i can get you know a little of uh, you know uh, both right where i can get you know maybe i get um a, an existing player plus a pick or something like that in a trade down i really like to do that sort of stuff um, i'm very active with my picks and again it's not really falling in love with players um, the less i fall in love with players i think the better i am as a dynasty GM. i'll just say yeah. that
0: yeah yeah, and I, I don't uh, I don't hate that. I, I certainly have a bit of player love because of how we go about it. You know, I do scout mm-hmm. heavily, um, so I actually have to resist uh, falling in love with players. We talk about this all the time, and you know, in our sort of process, um, we talked about it last week. Myself, Chalk, and Wiz, which is basically the the tripod of our draft analysis. You know, Wiz is sort of our our data guy. You know, Chalk is ultimate strategy. And I'm sort of, you know, I do a bit of film and I, I take in some of the other film too. And then we'll, we'll do things like, you know, we just take everything. Like I'm going to have Matt Harmon on the show later in the, in the, in the uh, off season here, which I'm super excited about a number of great guests coming up, but um, we'll look at reception perception and, and what does it tell us, you know, what does it tell us about this prospect? And we're going to, we're going to use that to help us formulate our score. So as we start to go through player evaluation, we start to think about, um, you know, okay, here's what we think. Well, now here's what someone who fucking really does this wide receiver thing thinks a little bit differently. Well, how does that jive with what we've done for research? You know, we're not stuck on our, well, I would disagree with them. You know, it's like, no, no, we're just going to use that information to add to our player, player evaluation and player analysis. That being said, we talked about it last week about basically moving back from the one hundred one or one hundred two into the one hundred five, one hundred six, one hundred four because there's a little bit of a flat curve in there in terms of tier. And so, what you're talking about is very true. You got to be careful because if you don't know where the tiers are, you can mess that up. You know, from my perspective, if you trade from the one hundred five to the one hundred eight or one hundred nine, you might have lost a lot of value in this draft. But thinking, oh no, I only traded back four spots. You know, so that's can be a big difference in my personal and humble opinion. Now, maybe that ends up being incorrect because, you know, there's still more to come, but you get my point. As of, as it stands right now, that that value gap is pretty different. The 109 to the 106 is a pretty big value difference, much, much bigger than the 105 to even the 101. So long story short, I totally agree with you, but identifying those tiers is huge. What, what type, of, again, top 30 players, uh, what veteran players are you – trying to trade for or maybe even the other way is more uh, exciting what veteran players are you trying to trade to get picks and because sometimes it's hard to do because picks are sort of hard to trade for aren't they
1: yeah they're really usually hard to trade for is yeah. uh, it's the thing that i find um so I, again i i don't do a ton of trading up for like rookies Um, I do think, like, trying to find – like, I thought last year was a really interesting case because you could just say, you know, the difference – like, last year there was a pretty big, like, line of demarcation in the draft, at least in my opinion, at five, because you went from two, you went from three top four picks in the NFL draft at quarterback and two first round running backs to a tier of wide receivers, tight ends, and and, and you know other players. Um, and I just I thought that like that was a key line to to trade from you know seven to five, like to to really pay that price because right. and not even necessarily because I thought you know Jameer Gibbs or. Um, you know, Bryce Young or Stroud or whoever was there was going to be like the savior to my team just because I thought that that player was going to be an asset to me going forward in a way that the the player at, at six, I wasn't as convinced that that was going to be true, right? Um, and I so, uh, you know, so or seven or eight, wherever, <laughs> right? So, um, yeah. so I'm, th- I'm thinking a lot about that. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I one of the mistakes that I've made is pre, um, is sort of predetermining my takes on rookie drafts in like March. Uh, and because j- the ultimate predictor of performance in the NFL, like the, the most important single thing that we can know about a player, if I only know two things about a player, uh, it's their position and where they went in the NFL draft, like where they, the, the number of the selection, yeah, the that pick. tells you a substantial amount right? And so that tells you more than really any sort of pre-draft model that you can, that you can take. And so I come back to that a lot and about thinking about, okay, well, how do I kind of work these tiers? So that way I can, I can, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm using those, that information that's given to me, that's been very predictive. And I'm, I'm using that uh, to, to better off my, to make my team better. Like that's something I think a lot about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, we basically do the same. We, we, we do have a, a pretty cool model that we've kind of built. It's almost done basically there. I mean, you know, we've done some, some, uh, some modeling, but now with, uh, we've got a few, few, uh, few team members with coder and, and Wiz that are really helping us like put some, put some meat behind this thing, but we always do pre-draft post-draft anyway. Right. Which is Uh basically just like, you know, what is, what are our thoughts pre-draft and then post-draft. And, and I, I talked to Scott Barrett last year, Gonna have Scott on again this year. He's unbelievable, but Scott was like, you know, he had like Marvin Mims way up. Like, I think he was wide receiver two in his in his pre-draft, and like I had him a little further down. But I loved Marvin Mims, and it was like, and we when we were talking, he's like, so he's like, do I was like, wait, do you factor in projected draft capital? He says no. I was like, well, that's probably the better way to do it, right? Like, it's funny because if you're gonna have a pre-draft model, why? try and factor in what you think the draft capital will be. just have it without it so i've gone back and forth with what i think about that because the draft capital is going to be what it is you know what i'm saying does that make sense like why yes. project it you know
1: right yeah i, t- I totally agree with that and like and, but you have to so that's like the the part of kind of understanding it that that i think is important right because uh, you know I'll use the example. And one of the reasons I started writing about dynasty fantasy football is because Kiaris Garrett, like this would have been what 16, I think it was 2016, 2015, 16, somewhere in there. Kiaris Garrett was being pushed pre-draft with all these, you know, with a lot of the newer metrics that we use now. He was like one of the beginning guys in a lot of that market share and a lot of that stuff. And he looked great on paper. And so I was like, okay, this is a guy I want to target in rookie drafts. And then he went undrafted. Right. And if you don't know who Kiara Scarrett is, I don't fault you because Kiara Scarrett never uh recorded an NFL statistic. <laughs> um he was at a Tulsa. Uh, he he's actually a big guy at, I believe it was at a Tulsa. Um, but I spent two oh six on a rookie draft in him because I thought like, well, this is a guy I really wanted, and then you know, and and the you you big dummy, like you forgot like how important the NFL draft is. I didn't appreciate it at that point. And I've come to appreciate it a lot more now. Um, and so like I think keeping the, the guardrails – like draft pedigree keeps the guardrails on you from like driving your car off of, off of a cliff. Yeah. Right? And I think you really have to regress your takes towards that draft pedigree is I think like the big thing that I've learned.
0: Yeah, and, and I found recently, by the way, that – and I think you'll probably – this will – I don't know if you've thought about this or looked into this. But the running backs are more volatile from projected draft capital to actual draft capital than wide receivers, you know. We are better at projecting where wide receivers will be drafted. Like, when I say we, I mean like you know mock draft database or something. You know, just in general, we, not me. Uh, you know, the the world is better at projecting you know quarterbacks, even and quarterbacks and and wide receivers than we are running backs. I don't know if you found that.
1: Yeah, and I mean the 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 sample on these guys, and this year it's crazy because like you go to grinding the mocks there's no top 60 projections at running back, right? Like that's a, that's, that's wild, right? That's, that's pretty wild. Um, So I, I do think it's a really interesting time to kind of like, again, this is like a time of year that I think a lot about draft props because like that, that really interests me. And I think that's a place where, you know, using all that information and kind of that knowledge can really be valuable. And then once the pick is selected, I'm very much able to kind of put together a board and I basically spend all of April you know, just studying the rookies and I kind of catch up later on in the draft, uh, it's in the fair. draft process.
0: Yeah. And, and if you're not in leagues where you draft before the draft, I think that's actually wise. Actually, you know, we were doing a lot of, um, you know, prospect stuff over the last few weeks for sure. You know, ultimately, I, I you know, depending on why people consume your content, right? Like mm-hmm. obviously people aren't consuming your content for your player takes on incoming rookies. You know what I mean? That's not that what they're doing.
1: Right,
0: right. No, but, right. So they're not doing that. So you don't have any pressure to do that as a content creator. And, and I'm I was
1: even- very transparent about it. And I'm very yeah, transparent no. about it by the reason why I do it. Right. Because, Correct. and again, it's one of the things like I've spent, it's funny for me cycle wise, like I've spent the last like two or three years really trading future picks for elite players. Right. And now I have those elite players and I'm in a very interesting spot and I, I haven't exactly come up with like the solution to it this year. But it's like, okay, now that I have all these, like I'm awesome at quarterback generally across my, you know, not on every team, but I'm, I have a fair share of like star quarterbacks. Now I kind of like have replenished those picks and I'm like, okay, now kind of what's the next, you know, what's my next move, right? Kind of like what's the next efficiency the thing and, and is it to stick and pick in rookie drafts? Like I tend to think that's probably not it because again, right. I, for a lot of the reasons I just said, I don't think I can beat the market. Um, but I think it's a, so I think it's a really interesting, like strategic point that I'm, I'm kind of in.
0: Let's talk about that. But I was just going to say, uh, from a content creation standpoint, you don't need to, right. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we sort of do for, for, from a content creation standpoint, what we are at the Andropos, the whole thing. Right. And so we've been doing it, but like recently I, I had chalk on, I was like, however, our dynasty process does not need us to be so informed right now. You know what I mean? Right. Just like if I'm just in a league, I don't, I don't really give a shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I only need someone else to be able to tell me like I, I, that. I, you know, yeah. Tell me all about these fucking prospects, bro. And then, you know, late I can catch up. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Unless I have a draft coming up, I don't need to know yet. And so mm-hmm. I do agree with that as a, as a fantasy player, as a dynasty player, content creation is different and, you you know, it's certainly it doesn't hurt you to know the the prospects early, but it can if you really just have these hard, you know, takes that don't that don't move. And you're not fluid. And, and, and you're, if you're not water like Bruce Lee, you're in trouble because you're going to make some big mistakes. And really, that's the reason that you want to know everything so well to begin with is so that you don't really avoiding landmines is as as important as drafting the good players, like because if you had somehow been able right. to, and we, we're we're looking at players like Jalen Rager and what were what what did we miss as a community, as a as a content creator, as a dynasty player? I didn't draft a ton of Jalen Rager, but that doesn't mean I wasn't in on them. You know what I mean? And so right. it's like, okay, well, what was that mistake? What was it? Okay, well, let's learn about that, right? And so so forth and so on. But like, if you just if we could have missed that, then you would have had. Justin Jefferson or who who whoever knows, right? Like you would have had some other player that would have been better than him uh, by simply uh, avoiding him. But getting back to what you said about um like do I stick and pick and like how do I how do I sort of go from here? You know, there's a there's a there's a lot of thought that I have about this. And in some of the leagues where I've really dominated, I've taken, you know, situations where I've like moved picks where I've, you know, into, you know, like right now 2024, where let's say you have like the 103, the 107, the 201 and the, you know, 202 or something, right? You have all these picks and sometimes it's like, wow, what if I trade the, you know, the, the, whatever I just said, 103 and the 107 to somebody for they're like 208. And like, they have like, they're, they have 225 first. I get those plus their 26 first or something, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. like, like I just sort of push it all forward, right? It's an easy way to, like miss on the on the landmines right Mm because if you don't pick them you don't you you know you don't you don't hit the landmines if your team is really good like if you're just going to dominate and then you still have but now you have your own pick plus like now you have like four or five first round picks in the next you know and sometimes if you can sort of stack a draft then you can kind of dominate because then you you sort of control uh, the draft by moving down and, and getting more and more value in the future, sometimes you can just stack your team. And that's how I've done it, you know, where it's like, why st- stay and pay, uh, stick and pick? You know, basically, you want to make them pay, right? Like move your pick from wherever, you know, into even into next year's draft, but get something like so, you know, especially, you know, I've done this last year on a number of occasions when I had the Dalton Kincaid pick. Whenever I had Dalton Kincaid's pick, which could have been the A chain pick, you know, late first mm-hmm. basically, but a lot of people were hot to trot on the tight end one, and I was there, and I would just take the the Kincaid pick and I would trade it, and I would trade it for their future first, right? This year's first, and of course that's random, but I'm trading a late first for a random 25 first plus, and I would get like a the three point oh two or the two ten or whatever. I just I'd move the hell out of there. I'd get a pick in that draft, so I'd still have a player. That player could be Jaden Reed or Laporta or Mims or whomever, right? Jalen Hyatt, if you want to make it a bad player So something, I didn't draft very much of that. But it could be, right? But I have that player, plus I have the 25 first. It, that's your classic two-way go, right? But it's only with draft picks. You know, it's basically, I'm going to sell my pick this year for its equivalent value plus a late pick, so I still get a, a player. I could have gotten Puka or Tank Dell or who knows what, right? I still right. get a player. Plus, I get way more draft capital going forward. And so it continues on and on. Next year, I have three first instead of two this year. See what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. I I actually think in one place that I'm studying is kind of that idea, but for a a bit of a different purpose. And so like one of the things that I, like I look back at the Pupa Nakua experience and I also look back at the Kyron Williams experience. And I think like, well, what can I learn from that? Yeah. It's never going to be the lesson from that should never be that I'll be able to pick that next guy. Because if you look at the, if you want to just sort of look at, at, the day three wide receivers from last year, the median points per game for those guys was less than two and a half. Okay. I think it was 2.2. So the answer to that is you're never going to be able to pick the next guy. I don't think you can. Right. I don't, I don't think that that's what the answer is. It's very rarely been the case where uh, the market has identified the breakout day three guy. It was basically only like Mike Williams from Syracuse because um, where he landed and some of the reasons why he fell, right. That's basically been the only time that it that's the markets really gotten that decision. Right. So, um, but instead of trying to predict that player, my, the thing that I'm trying to figure out is, is there a place where you can buy high on that player? So is there a way to kind of figure out, Hey, the first couple of weeks, this is vastly different than what we thought, and it's vastly and and there will be a market there, right? Because what will happen is someone will pick Pukunukuah Their next, you know, someone took Pukunakua at you know four oh seven, yep. and they're like, I can get a second for him. He's done. Bingo. Well, maybe that second again. This isn't always the case, and I'm not Correct. saying that in any time someone starts well that you trade <laughs> a future second for. Him. That's not what I'm okay. saying. Okay, that's, that's absolutely not. not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is is that there are situations that will present themselves that should change the way we think about that. Now, you get the Travis Fulgham situations and those types of things where those happen, and you think, no, that's not not one of these. But you looked at what Nakua did through a couple of weeks. It was vastly different than what we expected in terms of route participation and his target rate uh, and, and the target share and all those metrics really checked out. And you're like, wait a second, this is something vastly different than what we thought. Well, why is that? Right. Same with Kyron Williams, right. Kyron Williams, there was a situation of buy high. And actually my biggest regret from last year is not buying on him when he got hurt. Right. That's the biggest regret that I made last year. Right. I look back on that and I think that's a terrible mistake. So I think one of the next things is to kind of not try and predict these things, but to try and have the future flexibility, not because I want to make a ton of picks, but because I want to be able to be active in the trade market to pounce on these situations when they present themselves, right? Yeah. So I want to be able to be in on a quote, buy high of Puka Nakua at a mid second round rookie pick valuation. When I, I think there's a chance he could go to be, you know, a top 20 startup pick, right? I want to sort of be able to identify those situations. And I think that's a place because people will always be nervous about, oh, well, I could get a second now. I don't want it to, I don't want to lose that opportunity. I'll trade that that market will always be there because people are, uh, have that loss aversion on that market gain. And I think like, if you can identify those situations where you're not buying high, you're buying on the upswing, right? I think yeah. there's, there's a difference there. I think you've got to kind uh, of you know, understand and appreciate those things. And I think that's one, one thing I'm really going to kind of think about more and more.
0: That's right. I, I totally agree. I, I think we're trying to do both over here at The Undroppables, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I mean, if I could be so bold, you know. But I think what you're saying is something that anybody can do, even when you're wrong. And that's the beauty. Like I, I give the example of, you know, it's, it's so funny because like last year, you know, it was JSN, Addison, Quentin Johnson, Zay Flowers, right? That was kind of the top four. And, you know, I had Quentin Johnson, I think, over Zay Flowers uh, during the prospect time. And and I wasn't too happy about that. So I basically was like, I don't really like this you know, I didn't like Zay Flowers for a couple reasons, you know, I didn't like Quentin Johnson for a couple reasons. So it's not like I was like Quentin Johnson over Zay Flowers. I just had to make the choice in a ranking, right? You can't have them even. You have to fucking pick one over the other. But my general take was I would rather move up for Addison from, you know, that pick or sell it out, you know, get the hell out of there, right? That was that was how I played it for the most part. So even though you have a ranking doesn't mean you know so anyway, long story short, you get Quentin Johnson. I had him on, I think, one team, and as soon as I thought this ain't the guy, I was selling as for as low or for as much as I could, even if it was "quote unquote" low. I was just trying to get out. Same thing with Puka. You know, yes, I, I, uh, he, you know, might have missed on him in a league or two or three or four or ten, who knows? But mm-hmm. as soon as I was like, wait, the 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 news out of camp is that this kid's getting everything and he's doing great, and then you say. Hey man, there were some underlying, you know, yards per route run and targets per route run where he was elite <clears throat> in college, and now they're saying they love him and that, you know, and then week one happens and you're like, okay, yeah, this is what I thought. This is possible. And definitely worth a second. And so it's like baking in, even though of course during the draft, of course I wasn't gonna take Puka over Quentin Johnston because that didn't make any sense at that time. But because I was prepared For both outcomes to kind of go wonky, I was, I basically have zero shares, zero cares of Quentin Johnson. I'm almost at 50% Puka Nakua. And it's exactly for the reasons that you stated. It's like, as soon as you see it not be the thing that you thought it was, you got to get the fuck out of there or get in. Like, you know, you got to move fast and take advantage of the inadequacies that are in the market based off the players that they're becoming. Because we stick to our priors way too much as a community. And that's a mistake almost every time.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that, and I think you gotta like appreciate where the new normal is, right? Where the new, you know, where the new, right, reality of these players is because it moves, and you have to identify moves. where that's true and when that's not true. Yes, right, and and that's the key is to kind of you gotta avoid being the the sucker on a buy high, But <laughs> yeah. there are opportunities and there are yeah. absolutely opportunities where you're not buying high, you're buying on the upswing, and I think that right. that's that that's kind of walking that line. Like, I think that'll be a place where I kind of look at more and more. Um, you know what though?
0: Yeah. You know what though, Jordan, why not? I mean, look, maybe you get a Fulgum here and there And but here's the thing. Fulgum wasn't the prospect that Puka was either. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, you know, saying that, you know, I remember selling P- uh, Fulgham on the upswing. I mean, you know, I, d- I didn't have too much of them, but, you know, I'd pick them up and, you know, sold them a couple of times. It was fine. You know, whatever I got, it was fine. I, I didn't see Folgum as a um, as a Puka. You know, it did feel a little bit. It felt a lot different than that. You know, first of all, he wasn't a rookie when he did. There's a lot of differences. So, you know, when people hold up the the Folgum candle to Puka, I was always like, well, Why would you do that? Those aren't the same fucking things. That's not the same thing at all. That was an injury fucking reason this guy got into a game. Like, this is not the same thing. That's a Ken Brawl Tompkins or something. You know what I mean? It's a totally different answer. It's just not the same thing. You know, this was an Anquan Bolden situation, you know, more than it was a, you know, so – looking at these things and having a, a, a an understanding of what's really happening, but fuck it, go for it. If you think you're, you're getting something, you know, that that's why you have capital to begin with. And these second and third round picks, if you can turn them into a Puka tank Dell type player s- post draft, when you see that the, the story's changing, go for it. You know, the, that's what you've got those damn picks there for in the first place, you know, God, the, 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 the trade that would probably be the one that would just, you know, would have been the chef's kiss would have been the, uh Quentin Johnston for Puka Nakua plus, you right. know, after week one or something. If someone has that receipt, that's the one where you just, you know,
1: mwah. Quentin Johnston then uh for Puka Nakua first. Yeah. Oh
0: <laughs> Jesus, don't do that. But Could even imagine? a second <laughs> yeah. oh my god dude. Someone holds that receipt, right? Someone does right. So it's there someplace. Yeah. Someone holds that fucking beautiful receipt. Yeah. Oh my God. That would be that would be so so blessed. So so give me give me a give me a player like let, let the people we're going to go out here. Th- by the way, thank you for coming on, man. You're fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. I love our conversations. Maybe we can find a, an argument and we can make this uh, we can make this contentious. I like it when we do that. Me and you. We, we we love each other though. That's the that's the problem now. We're too we're too soft with each other. But let's yeah, we let love each say. other. We've
1: gotten we've gotten soft in our old age. I, I know. That's what
0: it is. I know. We used to we used to you know fucking can bond get over there. back
1: spasms and, and yes we have. have yes
0: we have. I don't know if that's making the show, but uh, I, I had the fire truck called on me because I had back spasms, which is not fun. Um, all right, so let's let's talk about like a player that you think going into twenty twenty four is of value. Um you know, maybe you know looking at best ball looking at sort of redraft just just in general where the market is versus where they're at right now and uh what do you, who, who you got
1: uh so there's one guy I'm fascinated by, and I think we'll talk about a second guy too Jalen waddle right when you yeah. look at his stats this yeah. year two point six three yards per route run that was actually you know the best number of his career again he got hurt um and I think Tyreek Hill overshadows him. But Tyree kills thirty, and again, I'm not predicting demise, but like there is an age curve, right? And and I think Waddle is is continued to track up. And you look at all the other sustainable metrics like targets per open route run, run, which is like my favorite thing to look at for wide receivers. Like he's elite in the in the category. Um, So you look at that, and you're like, okay, that's really uh, that's really really a good opportunity again with good pedigree. Like he's behind guys like Garrett Wilson. Like I I have no idea like what the, what the, the disparity is between those two players and cost. It doesn't make much sense to me uh, because Waddle has been better basically at every point of their career. Um, so, um, so that's kind of my first one that I'm looking at him as a tier. And again, if I'm, I don't trade up for a ton of wide receivers, but if I'm like looking to try and add that wide receiver and to try and get like it, what I could consider like a wide receiver, one type player, at not that price. Like he, he's the starting point. The other one's Nico Collins. And you mentioned mm. something before this, um, Nico Collins, by the way, 3.1 yards per route run last year. Um, that's like, that's elite stuff. Um, I joked in season that if, um, you know, that if, that if CJ Stroud was going to basically become like an elite quarterback that like tank Dell and Nico Collins could become like, you know, elite players. And I was like saying it tongue in cheek, right. but like, that there was there was like a like a Mossian quality to like the Nico Collins like kind of takeoff yeah. like when when yes. when uh, when CJ Stroud like I, it was a joke but like I do think it's true and it's interesting because you pointed out to me like one of the actual reverse splits here which is he's got a higher best ball adp then he has a dynasty adp and that's usually yeah. a really good indicator of a player that's undervalued in dynasty especially that's right. one that's got a record of production and he is being held down for and i'd be curious to see if you had tank dell's adp but he's being held down by i think two things tank dell and i think the other thing is that they could be a player in free agency i don't know like or trade i guess like outside of brandon Ayuk. Like I'm not sure that there's a receiver that's going to come in there and, and going to be better than Nico Collins. That's actually available. Right. Yeah. Again, crazy things have happened, but like the guys that are like reasonably available, like there's no one, like Michael Pittman Jr. doesn't scare me. T Higgins Jr. doesn't scare me or T Higgins, sorry. T Higgins doesn't scare me. Like those guys don't scare me. Like if I'm Nico Collins, like, I'm the Jr. best t. Specifically. Yeah, T Higgins, <laughs> t. Higgins, Jr., t. Higgins would... Jr. doesn't. Yeah. No, Michael could... Pittman Jr. and T Higgins. Yeah. See, this is what happens when you start crossing, <laughs> t- you know, you've been around too long. But, um, um I look at yeah,
0: let me jump in real quick. The only the, look, I don't think T Higgins or Michael Pittman are going anywhere, but I think, I think Mike Evans would be a problem, but I don't think they're going to do that. Why would they do that? That also doesn't really make much sense. Um, you know, they've got Nico, they've got Tank Dell, they proved that Noah Brown is like a legit weapon when you have a quarterback like CJ Stroud, so they can, they can start to add weapons at 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 sort of at cost I think they really need to fix other things like their offensive line not fix I mean their offensive line wasn't they need the offensive line they want to protect CJ Stroud Uh, even if it's a strength they should be building on a strength and then their defense like they've proven they don't need you know weapons to score although I would imagine they'll try to add weapons I, I, I still think it'd be fun as hell if they added Saquon I don't think it's the right move necessarily but uh i think it would be fun as hell so praying for sake one but in terms of like the nico collins yeah he's wide receiver nine in um in best ball right now at underdog and then he's the i'm just looking real quick here he's the wide receiver 16 in dynasty on keep trade cut uh tank dell wide receiver 19 in dynasty he's the wide receiver uh tank dell hold on 18 in, in, keep, in, uh, in underdog. So yeah, you're right. The sort of the idea that Nico is a top ten a wide receiver, nine in best ball. Boy, if he's he's only 24, well he's going to be about 25 here this year, but still, a 25 year old wide receiver is younger than Devonte Smith. You know, this type of player. I mean, if he's that good this year, why wouldn't he be that much more valuable in Dynasty? It was funny. I just tried to make a trade. What do you think of this? I tried to trade um, Nico for Tank Dell, and I asked for like the two ten. You know, just to, because they're he's valued higher, right? Uh he's higher in best ball, he's higher in Dynasty. So I said, Hey, give me give me Tank Dell in the 210. And that particular uh manager said, I have Tank Dell over Nico in Dynasty. And I was like, Fair enough. Like, you know, I you know, that's fair. But so it's not like e- even despite this sort of situation, there's definitely gonna be some people who feel like there's some there's some scary stuff with with Nico. So I'm, I'm I'm kind of with you, I think he may be a value a buy. I'm not sure you know can you like here's the one that i I think you know you guys talked about on your show. by the way, great show uh with you and, and Chad Parsons uh was the T. Higgins thing. It's like can you go from T. Higgins to Nico? I did this last year by the way. I went from i I sold a, a, um, T. Higgins and my late 24 first, which is like the 114 in that 14 team league for so T. Higgins in a first. Or a chain and Collins, Nico. Yeah, it's a yeah. huge win, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, let me let me quiz you for a second here. All right, who are the top three wide receivers in yards per route run against man coverage last year? According in to the PFF, NFL regu- in the regular the season, BFF? yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Tyreek Hill,
1: he's number three.
0: Yep. Um, hold on now, Tyreek Hill. I, obviously, it's going to be Nico, right?
1: Nico Collins is two.
0: Okay, I and, had a Teddy kill uh, <laughs> against man uh, yards per route run? It's not IUK. It's uh, your boy. It's CD, yeah, CD, yeah. CD Lamb. Yeah. So, I,
1: I guess my question is: is like in a world where that's the case, yeah. What are you afraid of, <laughs> right? Like, what are you, what are you afraid of? I just, I, 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 don't know. He's proven everything that you can ask someone to prove to me in my, yeah. you know. And I think, I think the two things that are holding him back is maybe the fear of some of the unknown. And I think the other thing too that you got to be careful on. Um, I did a study a couple of years ago, and I think it's relatively held true, which is that. That about 50% of ADP is predicted by the prior year's total fantasy points scored, okay, by someone's total PPR points. And that should instantly trigger to you that if a player loses games because he was injured, that there's a value opportunity. Like that should instantly be the first thing going off. And I think that that's the case. Like, Nico Collins missed a couple – missed, what, yeah. uh, two games last year. It does suppress his numbers just enough, and it makes him look like he blends in a little bit more than he actually does. And I, I come back to that, and I'm like, that's an elite-looking profile. Um, yeah. So yeah. that's my take on Nico Collins. Yeah,
0: the, the, I think what scares people off of Nico and what scares me off a little bit is he had more of a, of a sort of a Gabe Davis profile before last year. You know what I'm saying? Like yard. And again, that makes sense because he, but we were ready for Nico because Nico was a five-star prospect going into college. And he never, he never got more than 750 yards uh, receiving in any season. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? He was, he wasn't prolific there. And then he comes to the NFL and can't get over 500 yards. And then last year, 1300 yards and 15 games. So yeah, it's like, wait, is this an aberration? Is this a, a mirage or is this kid for real? And, you know, we looked at a lot of underlying things with Nico saying, Hey, we were kind of ready for this with Nico last year, because it's like, he literally hasn't seen a good quarterback ever. Like until mm-hmm. this past year, like, you know, I don't know who he played with in high school. Maybe he had a good quarterback in high school, but he did not have elite quarterback play ever in the NFL or in college. So he literally was just, you know, making do with really, really bad situations. And so once he got a good situation, he blows up. I'd say that's more of a signal than you know all the time he spent with with terrible quarterback play. So I, I'm with you. Nico Collins is the real deal, and I think that's the 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 way to get him is like a T Higgins. And maybe you can get Nico plus, just because people are still afraid of Nico. And uh, but even if you can go straight across, would you ra- you'd rather have Nico than than T Higgins if you if you could make that oh my straight God. across? Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. my God. See what I'm yes. saying? Yes. Yeah, me too. And by the way, I have a metric called targets per open route run, and basically it strips out. Uh, any contested targets you get. So, like if you okay. have a contested target, you subtract that from both the targets and the routes. And so, okay. what you have left is the amount of targets that you have divided by the routes you weren't thrown a contested target on. Okay? okay. And that is extremely, extremely correlated year over year. Um, and it's less noisy because that contested catch stuff is a highly fluky stat year to year. And so, what you can do is sure. kind of look at that and get an idea of kind of how players are producing. And and, you know, it it predicts points per route run in an extremely good way. Um, The players above Nico Collins last year, Tyreek Hill, massively above him. CeeDee Lamb, Devontae Adams, Jalen Waddell, Keenan Allen, Rasheed Rice, by the way, Amon Ross St. Brown, Nico Collins, Puka Nakua. I mean, if, if we're scared, right, yeah. I, I don't, I, I just, I don't know what to tell you because every, because once you prove to me, the thing that I've learned in dynasty is once you prove that you're elite, right, once something, once somebody proves they're elite, believe them, right? right? And I think that we get too concerned about, well, this and that and this and that, like, it's really, really hard to be elite. And the people that do it tend to be it, right? And that's, that's yes. kind of my, my, my take on that.
0: Let's go with Nico Collins. I'm, I'm in. I'm ready to go. Uh, still only saw 109 targets. Are we worried? I mean, uh, come on. Let's go, baby. Well, no, and here's
1: the other thing. Here's the other like, thing. Uh, if you actually look at his stats last year, there was an astonishing number of games where he was like between 85 and 70% route participation. And that yeah. was actually – it wasn't a him thing it was not a him thing. It was a Tank Dell thing. It was a Robert Woods thing. It was a a Noah Brown thing, right? They had this like three or four guys that none of them were ever healthy at the same time, by the way. Right. Like they would kind of rotate in and out um, and and they kind of use this rotation. And so kind of my take on Nico Collins is like, if he ever like a, I think last year can really be like a floor outcome for him because even if he uh you know even if he takes a step back you would expect some of that route participation to kind of take away you know to to balance him out a little bit but if he if that is what he is and he starts running 90 percent of routes like you've got you've got this year's cd lamb 30 to one to lead the league in receptions right Like you've got that yeah. capability in his in his bag so that's that's my nico collins thing
0: let's do it i'm in, i'm into it well uh Let's call it baby. We'll finish with, uh, we, we gave out Tajay Spears last week, Nico Collins this week. I think that's, uh, I think that's good. We we will keep, we'll keep this going. And, and, uh, I appreciate you, man. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on You're I think we had a fun, fun dynasty game theory conversation, which I think the people love, um, definitely breaks up some of the just prospect droning on and on. Uh, We're going to have plenty of that going forward. It's true, man. I get, I get bored of it sometimes, you know, just talking so much about it. Need to step away. We stepped away today and had a great conversation. Thanks for coming on. Tell the people what you've been up to. Uh, I listened to your pod recently with you and Chad. It's really good. Tell the people where they can find that and everything else you're doing.
1: Yeah, you can find um, all my work over at analytics dynasty.com. Uh The Dynasty team building guide, which I mentioned, is over there. That's evergreen content for you. Um, give you your, your, you know, way too much Dynasty strategy in one book. Um, So you can find that over there. Um, I have daily podcasts as well that you can subscribe to over there. Um, You can find the dynasty think tank podcast with me and Chad, uh, wherever you get your podcasts at dynasty think tank, and then follow along on Twitter where invariably I'll make some enemies at some point along the way this off season in a hopefully funny and um, predictable way. Um, And so you can find me there at McNamara dynasty.
0: Yeah, definitely follow, follow Jordan. He's awesome. He has a great, Uh, dynasty mind. And like I said, you can sort of hear it in the way that we talk. When we talk to each other, he's got a different way of looking at things. And I absolutely love it. I'm so grateful for our friendship. Thank you so much, Mr. Jordan McNamara. And on behalf of everybody here at the Undroppables, on behalf of everybody here at the Undrafted, on behalf of the greatest podcast producer that has ever walked the land, Mr. Michael P. Duncan. You have been joined by the great Jordan McNamara. I am Jax Falcone, and we are out.